0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. If you're the kind of college football fan that pays close attention to what's happening as we lead into the start of the season, I think there's one thing that you would just acknowledge is true. There aren't very many people picking Georgia right now to repeat as national champions or even win the SEC. Maybe be back in the college ball playoff because you know the SEC's kind of had a stranglehold over that tournament here in recent years. But in terms of hoisting trophies at the end of De- or at the beginning of December or at the uh, beginning of January, Right now, there doesn't seem to be a huge groundswell of momentum to do that amongst the media and folks on social media and the places where people talk about this. And the response from Georgia fans on this is, in some cases, just curious. Oh, isn't it interesting that no one seems to think very much of the reigning national champs right now? In some cases, it's apathy. Some people just simply don't care, and I can certainly understand why you might not. In other cases, you know, maybe there's a little bit of anger to this of, you know, how could so and so, uh, you know, doubt my team? You know, how how could so and so, uh, you know, you know, not think Georgia's going to be as good as I know they can be? There's also a degree to which some Georgia fans kind of like this kind of thing sometimes. You know, uh, Kirby Smart's the kind of coach who's always preached talking with your helmets on the field. You know, let your game do the talking for you. And some Georgia fans have kind of adopted that mindset themselves of, you know, let the media congregate around ohio state or gravitate towards alabama uh my team will show them once september gets here my team will show them once december and january gets here my team will will do all, all of that and i understand all that too but in terms of how you would actually get that done i want to spend a couple of minutes talking about that here today about how georgia can come back and beat alabama again and and for the purpose of this conversation I don't mean like winning the national championship necessarily. I just mean beating Alabama, whether it's a December showdown in the SEC championship or a January showdown of the national championship. The assumption you would make here is is that if Georgia were to beat Alabama, it probably is the national champion. Because if you want to go back and look, uh, since Nick Saban has been at Alabama since 2007, every national champion over that span has either been Alabama or, or has beaten Alabama, with the exception of just one year, that was Jimbo Fisher, Florida State in 2013, the only national champion since 2007 that hasn't been the Crimson Tide or beaten the Crimson Tide along the way to winning a title. So obviously, Georgia's path towards winning a national championship, you would assume, goes through Alabama again, because since 2007, that's kind of been the case around college football there. So so let's talk here in simple terms for a moment about what it might take for Georgia to beat Alabama again this year, much the same way that it did a year ago. And, and the sort of caveat to all of this is, well, 2022 Georgia can't be what 2021 Georgia was that the 2022 Georgia Bulldogs can't be the 2021 Georgia Bulldogs. And let's just stipulate for a second that that might be true. You lost five first-round picks off defense. You know, you lost some, you know, some key names off your offensive line. So some some very recognizable faces are no longer at UGA anymore, so that there is a certain aspect of this 2022 team that's going to be a lot different than what the 2021 team was. Let's just sort of stipulate that's true here for a moment. What if I told you that maybe copying a different team's recipe might actually work out pretty well for UGA? That you don't have to be 2021 Georgia, but can you be like another team that once beat Alabama in the very recent past? I'll explain what I mean by that coming up in a moment. But let me start with this. There's a guy named Bill Conley, ESPN.com, who I think is a pretty interesting writer, and I've told you before. At one point in time, I was sort of heavy into like sort of the fancy stats, the analytics, the you know, baseball, we used to call this like sabermetrics. I I used to be kind of into that kind of stuff. Over the course of time, I've just sort of fallen out of love with that type of thing if I ever really was. I sort of don't really find it conversational enough to matter. But some of the people who are at the forefront of the sort of analytics movement in sports, I still think occasionally have some interesting things to say. Bill Conley, probably an example of that. And he has an interesting premise up at a piece at ESPN.com about how you know the various contenders for the national title can kind of get to that spot here this year. He calls them his ifs, IF. Uh you know, so and so can win the title if this happens. So and so can win the title if, you know, the other thing happens. So I want to look for a moment about what Conley said about Georgia as a way of sort of establishing the discussion for the dogs here this year the recipe for beating Alabama again that's not necessarily the premise that Conley uses but it's a pretty uh, good springboard for us to have that conversation here ourselves so let me show you Bill Conley's first if here for a moment and most Georgia fans would um, would probably agree with this that Conley centers that first if on the Georgia front seven defensive line and linebackers reloading to a, to a similar level to what they were a year before. Let me read this from Bill Conley. He says The Bulldogs have finished first in defensive SP, that's just Conley's fancy rating system, for three straight years. Uh, they've replaced stars before, and they still have sure things such as tackle Jalen Carter, linebackers Nolan Smith, and Robert Beale. But any defensive regression would force quarterback Stetson, been at the fourth. I love how he puts the the uh, suffix there on his name and the offense to carry more weight and potentially wreck last year's perfect balance he means between defense and offense uh, conley says it's fair to assume that george will have a top defense of unit again but it's not a given until we see it now I think most Georgia fans would probably agree with that that reloading that front seven giving Georgia a chance to have a defense that's at least similar to what it had a year ago that's a very important recipe for Georgia for the upcoming year most Georgia fans would agree with that and even most Georgia fans might agree with Conley's assessment there at the end of all this is which is until we actually see it Nolan Smith in an expanded role Robert Beal an expanded role Jalen Carter as the guy for the defensive line you know, uh, other players sort of stepping up, maybe freshman contributors like Mikael Williams or Marvin Jones Jr., uh, Javon Dumas-Johnson kind of playing a similar role to what great linebackers played for Georgia a year ago. Until we see these new guys doing this new thing, then there's going to be at least some trepidation about, coming, about it becoming true. Most Georgia fans would probably agree with that. And I, I'm certainly not here to, uh, to push back on that either. But I do for a moment want to define what success looks like. Bill Conley says, can this Georgia front seven reload? And if it does, Georgia on its way to maybe winning a championship again. What does reload look like? Let me give you one simple number, and you've heard me say this before. To me, the job for the Georgia front seven for the upcoming season is, can you get this defense back to 40 sacks? Now, last year, Georgia knocked on the door getting 50. That'd obviously be great to do that again. But can you get to 40? Can you get to 40 sacks? uh if 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 georgia with its front seven new guys either either in expanded roles or some guys on the field a lot who weren't on the field much a year ago can you get this team to 40 sacks and if you can that's the job of the front seven see i think sometimes we want to measure the success of a defense by how many points it allows and obviously last year georgia looked really good in that metric but y'all there have been a lot of years think about 2018 think about 2019 where Georgia was very stingy as a defense. They weren't giving up very many points whatsoever. But I don't believe they were quite dynamic enough in those years to affect the great quarterbacks they played, You know, two of Jalen Hurts in the SEC title game in 2018, certainly Joe Burrow in 2019. They weren't quite dynamic enough in those moments, and therefore, ultimately, Georgia kind of finished as a runner-up. But the changeover for Georgia defensively in 2021 was creating a defense that wasn't just stingy in terms of the yards and points that yielded, but also in terms of the way in which it went out and got those Havoc plays, it affected quarterbacks in the backfield. And that's the job for the Georgia defense here for this upcoming season. It's got to find a way to get 40-plus sacks. Now, I would also add to this there as well. When I was a kid, uh, Jose Canseco was a big player for the Oakland Athletics. And like, I guess a big baseball card collector like Canseco was a really big deal. And In 1988, Canseco did something in Major League Baseball that had never been done before. He hit 40 home runs and stole 40 bases. He became the first member of the 40-40 club. And like when you're a kid and something like that happens, it's a really big deal. You're chasing those 86 Donruss uh, Canseco rookie cards. That's just a really big deal. And I was thinking about that this morning because I think for Georgia this season, once again, that sort of simple recipe for beating Alabama again kind of involves its own version of the 40-40 club. Uh, you know, 40-plus sacks is sort of the one element of that. You just heard me explain that. But the second element to that, that 40-40 club for Georgia this year is can you also average 40 points per game? can you get 40 plus sacks over the course of a season and can you average 40 plus points per game if you can do that if you compare the one with the other the explosive offense slightly more explosive than georgia was a year ago uh the dynamic defense even if it's slightly less dynamic than it was a year ago all of a sudden that sort of 40 40 formula gives you a chance to go out there and beat alabama again along the same lines the other if for Bill Conley, I think, kind of gives us a recipe for all of that because, you know, for everything that people do to kind of fix it on sets and as set the quarterback or what Georgia has, the wide receiver position, or the strides that it's trying to take to match the most explosive passing offenses that are out there. I think the actual step for Georgia, which averaged right about 39 points per game a year ago, the actual step to kind of get into the 40s on a per-game basis for this upcoming season is a little bit less about quarterback and maybe a little bit less about wide receiver and maybe a little bit more like what Bill Conley talked about at ESPN.com. that It's about the offensive line establishing a certain level of dominance that allows this offense to regain some of the elite rushing attack that it probably had going back to early smart days in 2017-2018. Let me show you what Bill Conley said about the Georgia offensive line here for a moment as a way for Georgia to kind of maybe establish that sort of championship credentials that it would allow it to beat Alabama again this season. Conley writing that even a strong quarterback needs a strong offensive line. And while the line held up last year with freshmen taking more than 1,500 snaps, its two best players, Justin Schaefer and Jamari Salier, are gone. The two deep is going to be overloaded with freshmen and sophomores. Once again, that's Bill Conley, ESPN.com. Now, you might dispute for a moment that Schaefer and Salier were Georgia's two best offensive linemen a year ago. Uh, I think that Warren McClendon and Cedric Von Prong-Granger certainly deserve a spot in that discussion. But nonetheless, the overall premise that Conley uh, establishes there I think is correct. Last year, I believe the Georgia offensive line was good, but I don't believe it was great. But if Georgia is going to you know, average the sort of 40 points per game this season, I'm calling for it to average, then I do think you have to have that front five take that step towards greatness. And obviously, that can be partially measured in pass protection, giving Stetson a minute time to throw. But I think that's also measured in what you do for the running game there as well. That, you know, the, the, the sort of number behind the number that I've kind of called for in the past is, I'd love to see Georgia average six yards per carry here this season. That's something that no one did in 2021. But if you want to go back the last couple of years, you've seen teams like Clemson and Oklahoma sort of do that in the past, teams that were throwing the ball pretty well, but still finding that success on the ground. That I think it's one of the great misnomers related to Georgia football, that the next step forward for Georgia offensively is not necessarily unlocking some sort of passing achievement. The truth is I think that Georgia actually threw the ball pretty well a year ago. But finding a way to be – much better in terms of what you're doing your ground attack what you're doing when you're running the football I think that ultimately might go a long way towards sort of establishing what George might be on the ground here for this upcoming season if you're trying to get to that 40 40 number that might be the way in which you get that done and if you're curious there have really only been a small handful of teams in recent years who've had the 40 plus sacks and the uh 40 points per game average over the course of an entire year You had Pitt, who did that a year ago. Now, that's not a national championship-level team, but they did win the ACC. Alabama came very close to doing that. If you skip 2020 because that was a pandemic year and not everybody played the same number of games, you go back to 2019 – Clemson a true title contender they did that Ohio State a true title contender they did that in 2018 once again it was the same two teams Clemson who actually won the national championship that year and Ohio State who did the same thing there in 2018 those are the teams in recent years who've kind of been in that 40-40 club teams that had 40 plus sacks over the course of the season and averaged 40 points per game over the course of a year it's that 2018 Clemson team I want to think about here for a moment because that's another team that, if you want to go back to that year, was told they had no chance of beating Alabama. They were told that going into a national title game in which Alabama was a big favorite, Alabama was kind of being treated as one of the great teams of all time. tuatunga low, had gotten banged up there towards the end of the year. But think about the way in which that Alabama team in 2018 was just sort of rolling through the regular season and really dominating everybody that was playing up until kind of the end of the year. And a lot of folks thought that Clemson would kind of lay down and die way that a lot of alabama's regular season opponents had for much of that season but it didn't happen clemson actually dominated the game and some of that was trevor lawrence throwing to guys like justin ross but other parts of that were the same kind of recipe that we're talking about here for georgia here this year that was a Clemson team that was very aggressive getting after the quarterbacks. They actually exceeded 50 sacks for that upcoming season. And that was a Clemson team that averaged about 44 points per game on the offense side of the ball there as well. And some of that was passing attack, but some of that was a guy like Travis Etienne, who was leading a Clemson rushing attack that did average more than six yards per carry there that season. That A lot of folks are going to tell you, well, the Georgia team in 2022 can't be what Georgia was in 2021. Maybe that's the case. But could they be more like 2018 Clemson? Can they find a way to get in that 40-40 club? Can they score 40 points per game? Can they be that explosive offensively? Can they get 40 sacks over the course of a season? Can they be that dynamic defensively? If you're looking for the recipe for how Georgia can beat Alabama again, it's really, to me, as simple as that. Not simple to execute. It takes big-time talented players taking a big step forward with their career, but it's certainly simple to describe. The dynamic nature of a defense, the explosive nature of an offense measured by how many points you score, how many sacks you collect. That's the recipe for beating Alabama again. And I wouldn't put it past Georgia to do just that when the 2022 season begins. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us no matter how you get to us today. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, for making all possible there as well. You can find us 9 45, first and 15 there on the Dog Nation homepage, the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all kinds of video platforms, podcasts, Apple, Spotify, posting the show at com and everything else in between. Of course, listening on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 963F. We're just really happy to have you as a part of the program today. And as I said before, a big, big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who makes it all possible. And you know, We just talked about a simple recipe for maybe Georgia beating Alabama again. And if you want a simple recipe yourself, For how you can take care of your home for maybe some of the most challenging issues you might face engineered solutions of Georgia provides that for you i'm talking about foundation and waterproofing issues and listen we've got a lot of storms here as of late a lot of rain kind of rolling through and for some of you when the rain rolls through you see evidence of things you don't want to see water in your basement your cross base garage or maybe you see just sort of cracks sometimes right Uh, and maybe it was caused by water damage or or who knows what is caused by certainly i don't know but the folks at esog they do know this is what they are they're a solutions-based company for the kind of significant problems that you might feel like you're facing when it comes to your foundation stuff your waterproofing stuff they have an entire team of engineers on staff to help you and solve your problem nobody else in this space in our market can say that the way that engineered solutions of georgia can because they know how important it is you for, it is for you as a homeowner to have peace of mind that your home's well taken care of that it's that it's You know, it's the structural integrity that sort of holds the thing up, right? And you want to make sure that it's uh everything that it's supposed to be, and that's where Engineered Solutions of George can step up and be a solutions-oriented company for you. They're also proud partners of UGA, and I always love it when you all support those that support the dogs, but I especially love it when you support those that have been good to us here on Dog Nation Daily and ESOG. They've been longtime friends of ours. We are so proud of the deep-rooted partnership we've had with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And the thing that makes me the most proud is because I know they're doing great work for all of you out there in the community. So make sure you give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's the phone number. Simply dial it. 678-ESOG now. And that'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're going to get Connor Riley here in a moment. We're going to do a Kroger Fresh Take with him lot of uh, recruiting stuff to get into with Connor some of the stuff for Georgia getting ready to go on the field here this season we'll do some of that here coming up in just a bit but before that though speaking of recruiting I'm going to go around the doghouse here and I just kind of want to bounce through a couple of recruiting-related pieces of news. We're not live yesterday, so we didn't get a chance to talk about the Janelle Aguero commitment, the Kelton Smith uh, commitment, but we did address that Saturday on video. So you can go back and kind of get some more of that if you're a podcast listener. I attached the Aguero portion of that conversation to the end of yesterday's show. So if you go all the way to the end of yesterday's show, you can kind of get some more thoughts on Aguero. It's obviously a huge win for UGA. You know, like the Kelton Smith uh, move is probably pretty interesting there as well. For now, though, I want to kind of focus in on a couple of other pieces of news that are kind of floating out there of what, like to say, the next week, couple of weeks going to look like as it relates to Georgia recruiting. There is kind of some buzz out there that UGA might be on commit watch here coming up pretty soon. Let me show you this on the screen here. Uh, a wide receiver, recent decommitment uh, from Penn State, who's recently earned a Georgia offer and coming in on a Georgia visit. Let's throw that up there and show folks that as it relates to Yazid Haynes. This is a guy that, you know, frankly was not on my radar at all until very, very recently. But as I said before, you know, recent com- decommitment from Penn State, a guy that's just on, you know, go back to June 23rd from him earning the Georgia offer, I guess. Uh, he can't they like what he saw it sounds like he brings a lot of speed to the table which is certainly something that Georgia is trying to prioritize when it comes to these wide receivers right now so it seems like Georgia could be moving pretty fast here no pun intended with a very speedy three-star receiver in Yaseed haynes i know jeff Santel's gonna have more for you on this at uh, dognation.com but it could be that uh that haynes and uga are kind of moving in a pretty swift direction towards each other for an eventual commitment fresh off Haynes decommitment to from Penn State so keep your eye on that as far as other upcoming decisions we're only a couple of days away now I guess one day away now from five-star safety Caleb Downs getting ready to make his announcement I guess the feeling here is unchanged you see kind of a nice edit there it uh, almost has a little bit of a Thor Love and Thunder vibe. I wonder if that's intent, intentional or if that's just kind of, uh, you know, in my own head there. But um, a very nice edit for Caleb Downs. You see all the offers from the background. This is kind of thought to be a Georgia-Ohio State and Alabama battle. And, you know, frankly, uh, Georgia taking no better than the silver, if not the bronze medal, for Downs' services here. It sounds like uh, he may be heading towards the Alabama Crimson Tide. The Georgia got its elite safety with Aguero on Saturday and the attempt to win with the in-state product from Mill Creek High School. Seems like right now there's not a ton of optimism out there among Georgia fans for that. I've told you before, Down's a player that I've seen in person many times. I think he's incredibly impressive. I've interviewed him before. I think he's a very sharp kid. This is a guy you would love to have at Georgia. There's no, no question about that. This is one of those guys that you know, you go after and sometimes you just don't get the guys that you want. Uh, I think Georgia would love to have had Aguero and Downs, but selling for one elite safety as opposed to two, those are certainly uh, first world problems for uh, UGA. So you'll celebrate the Janelle Aguero news, even as you watch Caleb Downs, at least based on the, the current chatter, likely going elsewhere. Another prospect getting fairly close to making a decision is Connor Liu. There's another guy I saw in, in person a year ago. He's from Kennesaw Mountain, which is actually one of those programs kind of on the rise there in the Atlanta area of high school football and uh, Lou's getting ready uh, this this is an interior offensive line maybe a center at a place like Georgia uh almost certainly a center at Georgia but getting ready for an announcement coming up on August the 5th and you see the uh, finalists there and the one thing I noticed is it kind of reminds me remember the other day with Kelton Smith and this is of course if you're not watching a video you don't know, know what I'm talking about so I'll try to explain this when Kelton Smith announced his top three the other day it was Georgia. It was uh, uh, no. This wasn't. This wasn't Kelton Smith. This was uh, uh, Jamal Jarrett. Excuse me. When Jamal Jarrett had his top three of the day, you had Georgia, you had North Carolina, and you had Auburn. And we said, well, we know he's not going to Auburn because you know Georgia had the national championship trophy, uh, North Carolina had the championship belt and his Auburn image of him in the Auburn uniform was basically just sort of standing there holding onto his shoulder pads with no prop, and we said, well, we know Auburn's eliminated here because there's no prop in the photograph. Can I see the Lou photo one more time? Because uh, maybe Auburn's kind of found themselves a prop now. He's got the, what, 80s-era boombox on his shoulder, so maybe this speaks to Auburn having a better chance with Connor Lou than it uh, had with Jamal Jarrett. Just given the fact that Lou is holding an Auburn prop in this picture, uh, he's also in the center position. Uh, in uh, in his uh, Georgia uniform, there, kind of right in the middle, it's almost like he's making his own. Ver- Have you ever seen the Joe Moore Award trophy? It's almost kind of looks like the Joe Moore Award trophy, or with nothing but a string of Connor Lou's uh, stretched across the uh, graphic there. So, do with that what you will. Lou from Kennesaw Mountain, uh, uh, getting ready to make his choice, all coming up on August fifth, and that's another one of those names that Georgia fans will be watching as they try to evaluate the current state. Of offensive line recruiting there for UGA, we'll talk to Connor Riley about a lot more about this kind of stuff coming up in just a moment. Before I get to that though. Let me also remind you about something that's really cool right now at dognation.com. This is something we've started doing and I think it's been really fun. The response has been great thus far. A chance for you to make your voice heard and a chance for you to express your opinion here. It's our it's our Atlanta Braves fan poll online there at dog uh, dognation.com. Easy for me to say, I guess. dognation.com. You can check out the Atlanta Braves fan poll. Like each week there's a uh, a big question for you to uh, answer there uh and like for instance the question that's up there right now is which player is going to have the biggest first year impact and there's like four choices and you sort of click the one that you think is kind of the best there on that and it's just kind of fun to think to sort of know what other Georgia fans think about all this there as well uh so you can go there and you can kind of make your selection you can kind of follow the voting and sort of see who's voting for whom there and uh, we, you know, we've done receiving yards we've done rushing yards and now it's first year players who makes that biggest impact uh, there's four choices. You can kind of select your choice there on that. And by the way, also for uh, one lucky person who participates in the poll each week, uh, you're going to have a chance to enter to win a, a Braves four pack of tickets. This is a really, really cool thing. that The Braves are doing partnering with us on this uh, 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 you know great fan poll there at dognation.com. Braves going to give away one of these family four-packs of tickets each week all summer long there as a part of our Dog Nation Atlanta Braves fan poll. So go to dognation.com, cast your vote, then submit your email to have a chance to win the uh, Braves four-pack ticket giveaway. So plenty more on that there at dognation.com. This is a really fun thing and really happy to be doing this with the Atlanta Braves and happy to see your opinions expressed right there on the pages of dognation.com. All right, so that's kind of what's going on there turn our attention back to the georgia bulldogs here in terms of the outlook for the team as we head towards the start of practice which is only a few days away the aftermath of sec media days and what's next for georgia when it comes to recruiting a lot of bases to cover here right now so let's do it all with connor riley we call it a kroger fresh take here on dog nation daily happy to have him and all of you with us here today From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll say hello to Connor Riley here, uh, Kroger Fresh Take. And, uh, Connor, a lot of Georgia fans obviously getting ready to turn their attention to the start of the season. But, you know, the the momentum for recruiting in July continues to be very very robust. There's a lot going on, right? Uh, Georgia fans had a chance to celebrate two big commitments over the weekend. You and I talked about that on video on Saturday. And all of a sudden, you kind of turn your attention to what's next, whether it be a wide receiver recently decommitted from Penn State that a lot of Georgia fans are sort of, like myself, sort of scrambling to learn something about, or an in-state offensive lineman, or you know, kind of tagging the toe on the end of the Caleb Downs recruitment. One way or another, there's just a lot going on here right now, and uh, it doesn't appear to be slowing down anytime soon, does it?
1: No, this is, I think, what college football recruiting is going to be in the next couple of seasons. We've seen the changes that I think the official visit set up has allowed for and you've got in reality a lot of kids are going to want to make this decision you know in june july early august before their season starts that way to sort of get the 365 cycle of recruiting sort of out of the way and done with because you know as much as coaches i think sometimes like to lament you know how how all-encompassing recruiting can be the players certainly feel this as well so i do think that is why you've seen Uh, sort of accelerated timetable for a lot of these recruits, you know, it it, it doesn't seem that long ago where, you know, 2020 class, 2019 class, we're sitting here at the end of August and Georgia's only got, you know, 11, 12 recruits committed. And by the end of this week, Georgia could very easily be closer, I think 18 or 19 commitments. So it sort of speaks to the way that college football recruiting as a whole has changed that we are sort of in this cycle that we are in
0: now let me ask you a very simple and direct question relative to expectations do you think recruiting is going well for george in the 2023 cycle and my reason for asking that is you know clearly Georgia's dominating on the defensive side of the ball jeff Sintel has got a story up at dognation.com about how no one's out recruiting uga when it comes to defensive guys and even battling like nil behemoths like miami for janelle aguero that doesn't seem to be much of an issue georgia for the most part is getting I don't want to say everybody that wants defensively, but it's certainly not hurting for defensive recruits. On the offensive side of the ball, you know, there are some interesting evaluations taking place along the offensive line at wide receiver, uh, you know, top target got away at running back, top target got away at quarterback. All of this adds up to a class that almost certainly is at least going to be in the top five, if not in the top three for Georgia, but relatively relatively, Compared to expectations, do you think that the 2023 cycle has been a success for Georgia thus far?
1: Yeah, success is a win. And obviously, you know, they still have time to correct some of the misses that they have missed out on. And, you know, if they're able to go out and land Hakeem Williams, if they're able to go out and land uh, Monroe Freeling on the offensive line there, I I think this this class on a whole looks different. But when you miss on your top quarterback prospect and you go all in on our community, and you miss on your top running back prospect and, and you make Justice Haines the number one guy on your board, it, it, it's hard to say this is a class that you would sort of envision. Now, is this what Georgia football is going to be going in the future where they're going to load up on defense, they're going to load up on tight end, we'll see what they do with the skill position players? I don't know. I think you look back last year, they got Gunnar Stockton, who they very clearly identified as their guy at the quarterback position. They got Branson Robinson. They got a really intriguing player in Andrew Paul there. So I, I I think this might be just a year where you don't land Arch Manning it was a very contested recruitment he picks Texas you know the the, the Justin Haynes miss and you absolutely have to call it a miss is going to be as confounding as a recruiting loss that Georgia has has suffered in quite some time and, and you know are those one off events or are those indicative of, of how recruits see Georgia going into the future I tend to sort of think it is more the one off. And not necessarily a, a symptom of what Georgia recruiting is going forward.
0: So, if like I say, Yazid Haines for a moment, like the three star wide receiver, and as I said before, I, I'd never even heard of uh, this young man until a couple of days ago. So, I won't pretend to be an, a you know an expert evaluator of his game. But you know, I do think a lot of Georgia fans are trying to sort of figure out how they're supposed to feel about this. He seems like he's very fast, and Georgia's obviously had a lot of success recently with you know kind of three star style receivers, the way that sort of Haines kind of fits into a similar recruiting profile on that. So this is this an example of, hey, Georgia's trusted its evaluations before and worked out well and therefore Haynes is likely to succeed. Or is the other side of that coin, hey, this is just sort of the waters that Georgia's forced to swim in at wide receiver because right now the the reputation for Georgia is not quite as robust at that position group as it is with other position groups. Well,
1: I look at the way that you know the, the receivers that they've targeted in this class, uh, you know, Tyler Williams, is a teacher, uh, Yazid Haynes certainly falls into that category there. I feel like with the way that they're successfully recruiting a tight end position and, and landing guys like Pierce Sperlin, landing loss, and lucky Oscar Delp a year ago, Landon Thomas in the 2024 class. Uh, I think that having so much success at that tight end position, I do think impact how you go out and which wide receivers you go out and recruit. And, and, and so I do think that that has placed, because they're doing so well at tight end, that has placed a greater priority on speed and guys that that can lift the top-off defense when you have those tight ends who can sort of control the underneath routes, Because, you know, you're less likely to take, you know, a 6'2", a 185, 6'3", 195-pound wide receiver that can play on the outside when you already have a tight end that can, in theory, do that. You need sort of that speed to complement some of those tight ends you have. So I actually think this might be an example where the success that Georgia has had with its tight end position is forcing them to recruit different types of players at a wide receiver position. Certainly, other schools throughout there are looking at as opposed to, you know, if Georgia's not signing elite tight ends, you know, maybe they do take a certain higher-rated prospect who might not have the same top-end speed that they need. Seems to have.
0: So you wrote about this, at DogNation.com today, and we heard Kirby Smart use this word a lot last week, related to experience or in some cases, inexperience for his team here for the upcoming season that seems to be a concern that he has and it's easy to understand why that is you can just go through the list of sort of big-time contributors who are no longer here how big of an issue do you think a lack of experience could be for Georgia this upcoming season
1: if I believed a little bit more in Oregon and South Carolina I would probably say a a big one but I think by the time we get into, you know, the month of November where their schedule, I do think jumps up a notch with Tennessee at Mississippi State at Kentucky, you know, these guys will have their sea legs under them. They'll play at home against Auburn. They'll play in Jacksonville against Florida. They'll play at Oregon and and at South Carolina. And so they'll have some of the reps that they need by that stand, by that point in time to, to sort of, I think, be a little bit more experienced and know what they're looking at. And so, you know, there's obviously going to be some regression, especially on the defensive side of the ball uh, this season. And and, and so you hope that the experience that they have on the offensive side of the ball with Seth and Bennett returning in what will be his third year as a starter, uh, you know, you have guys like Kenny McIntosh who have played significant reps in the national title game. Uh, Roger Jones gained significant experience in said national title game. You hope that those guys use that experience to sort of uplift a, a defense that will very much be getting its legs underneath them. I just don't think Georgia's schedule is set up to really take advantage of their inexperience
0: at this point in time. Yeah, I'll be honest with you for a second, Connor. I mean, I'm sure people are not surprised to hear that I don't think that Georgia is too inexperienced to be a contender of this upcoming season. However, I can't help but think back a little bit to like the 2019 year in which a lot of people, smart people prior to the season said, hey, Georgia is especially inexperienced at wide receiver. And I might have been tempted to disregard that then. As it turns out, that was really the case, that Georgia did not have enough returning production. And that sort of you know green nature of those receivers, the inexperience there at that receiver position, it really cost Georgia a lot there that year. So I think in light of that, I do find myself at least kind of taking a pause. When I say, "Ah, oh, Georgia's got enough experience, enough guys who played before, enough guys to lean on, that it shouldn't have any kind of issues with that here this upcoming season. I can't help but think back to a time in which inexperience, especially at one position group, really hurt them not too long ago.
1: Well, and I will say to that, because you and I have talked about this before, in sort of looking at returning production numbers, a lot of them aren't necessarily as important as you're led to believe, but the two that it does seem to really benefit or really hurt in some cases when you don't have it uh, is that returning experience is the wide receiver position and the defensive backfield. And I will say, you know, George's inexperience most obviously comes at the linebacker position, and I would say the defensive line there as well. But you bring back a guy in Christmas who's entering his third season as a starter. You bring back Keeley Ringo, who started over a dozen games last season. William Poole played big-time minutes for these guys in the college football playoffs. So you have some experience in that secondary there. Jane Jackson played there as well. You have, I, I think, in that secondary, which are where it is, it does seem to be more important to have that yeah. level of experience and not be as green. You do sort of seem to have the, I think, requisite level of experience there to feel at least somewhat okay. You still wonder, you know, who's going to be that other starting cornerback, and you wonder how long does it take guys like Jermon Dumas-Johnson and Schmell Munden to sort of get up to playmaking speed at that inside linebacker position. But overall – where this defense is inexperienced, I, I don't think gives me that same level of pause that I think you might have.
0: You know, it's funny, hearing you talk is actually making me think about something for a moment. When Darian Kendrick transferred to Georgia, it was a huge topic, right? I mean, for the most part, Georgia fans accepted it as good news. There was some debate related to who's the real Darian Kendrick, the guy that dominated most the regular season, the guy that had some issues in the postseason, but the Kendrick Toppett was very hot when he first came to UGA. But Connor, once he started playing for Georgia as a starting cornerback a year ago, it's almost like he was very much overlooked and I think maybe never got quite enough credit for what he did to contribute to Georgia's national championship a year ago. That in kind of a weird way, a guy that wasn't here very long was a very quiet, solid contributor to Georgia's national championship uh, team. And Maybe of all the guys that they're going to miss from from this past year's team, maybe Kendrick's one of the guys that they're going to miss that we just don't talk nearly enough about. It's really weird how once he came to Georgia, for the most part, did the job that he was brought here to do, it's almost like he got less discussion around him once that started happening than what was happening for him when he first arrived, just kind of a high-profile transfer.
1: Yeah, I'm part of it. You know, We only heard from him, I believe, once last season. Uh, Georgia very much did not you know him out there to go talk and, and, and hype himself up. Uh, finished the year with four interceptions, two of them coming in that college ball playoff game against Michigan. Uh, as you point out, very quietly went about doing his job. And in terms of if you want, you know, as great as Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, as great as all of those guys are, I think the biggest gap entering fall camp between a, a starter on last year's defense and the guy replacing them. Is that cornerback position with Darian Kendrick Manned and you know, you can maybe throw Lewis Dean in there as well at that safety position. But you know, we didn't get a chance to see what Kamari Lasseter looked like in the spring game because of the stomach bug that he had that day. And you know, as great as Keely Ringo finished the season, uh, there were some struggles that he had early on last year in, in terms of just seeing that high level of football the first time. And so at that cornerback position, a first timer is not necessarily what you want to have out, out at that cornerback position. And while well, Yes, they've recruited very well with Dalen Everett, became single Terry, uh, Julian Humphrey, Marcus Washington Jr. there, as well in this last uh, cycle. I don't know what kind of appetite Kirby Smart is going to have to throw two freshmen out there and, and really say, hey, like you've got to grow up over the course of the season there. So they're so young in that cornerback room that, you know, Darian Kendrick, who played a ton of football in his time, at Clemson and then obviously at UGA, you know, and sort of tying this all back into experience. There's just not someone in that room that you feel, I think, really comfortable right now about about stepping in and giving you what Kendrick gave you last year, which was a very solid, all-around good quarterback. Performance.
0: I think that's right. I want to ask you about one more topic before we let you go. Let me first remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh state with Connor Riley here today. And by the way, speaking of Kroger, huge response thus far, and I certainly appreciate that as we try to do – kind of a cool thing here heading towards the start of the school year which is kind of right there around the corner we want to honor some of the great children who are in our audience you know your own child a child you know in your neighborhood just just you know the, the some of the cool kids in our audience are doing some great things right now big georgia fans or whatever else we just want to celebrate some of the great children in our audience and one of the ways we're doing this we did this a year ago there as well we're calling it our kroger five-star kids giveaway and we're accepting nominations right now we've already gotten a, a great number of those but there's still another week for you to kind of continue to be a part of this and get your nomination in. So here's what I want you to do please send us an email to info at dognation.com and nominate your child or a child you know to be one of our Kroger five-star kid winners. Now, we're going to draw five winners at random, and each of those winners is going to get a pack of gift cards worth $250 and a Kroger five-star kids t-shirt. It's an incredible giveaway. And we're going to start announcing our winners uh, starting the week of August 1st. This was one of the most fun things we did a year ago. The stories we got about why the The kids that were selected should be our five-star kids are just great there's so many children in our audience who are doing so many special things and as they get ready to go back to school we want to honor some of them. It's our Kroger Five Star Kid Giveaway, but we need your nominations to make sure we have a great crop of winners. So send your nomination in, info at dognation.com. If you want to learn more about the uh, contest and kind of the fun things we're doing here, you can also read about that uh, there at dognation.com as well. But if you're ready to nominate, info at dognation.com, a child that you know or your own child could be a winner of $250 worth of gift cards, including a big one from Kroger. And a really cool Kroger Five Star Kids Dog Nation t-shirt. So info at dognation.com for a lot more on that and to make your nomination. All right. So, Connor, last thing for you. Every team in sports loves the idea of nobody believes in it. Shock the world. Everybody likes to, to sort of play that card when they can. And sometimes certain teams sort of do that on somewhat specious grounds. In Georgia's case, based on the fact that, I mean, overwhelmingly Alabama was selected to uh, win the SEC. Georgia's likely going to be no better than third in the official preseason polls when they come out. As the reigning national champion, does Georgia have justifiable grounds on which to say, nobody believes in this? we're going to go out there and prove our doubters wrong? Does Georgia have some real credentials to make that claim going into the start of the upcoming season?
1: I believe that yes, they do. Now, obviously, they're going to be more talented than every team they step on the field with during a regular season, but You know, maybe it's because Alabama is so often the returning champ or even, you know, I feel like, you know, LSU was here because of the 2020 and stuff at all. But you look at some of the other returning champions in recent years, it it felt like they got a really benefit of the doubt that Georgia just does not seem to be getting right now. And that might just be as simple as Alabama has, I think, the two best players in college football in Bryce Young and Will Anderson, and maybe not even necessarily in that order there, but... I do have some questions about this Alabama team. You know, I mean, Jermaine Burton, Jermaine Burton getting first team all SEC wide receiver is kind of a bit of a farce and really only, I, I think like, if he were on Georgia still, he would not be first team all SEC wide receiver. And, and they have some questions at that, at those skill position players where to me anyway, it's very clear that they imported these guys, you know, the, the wide receiver from Louisville as well as Amir Gibbs, their running back to, Say, hey, we have some concerns about these skill position players. Which Alabama is recruited as well as anybody in the country when it comes to that. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when they talked about that 2021 Alabama wide receiver class as one of the great wide receiver recruiting halls <laughs> of all time. And when you have to when you have to go out and bring in those guys to address some of the concerns you have there, which came up very very clearly in the national championship game. Those guys were not being developed over the course of the season, and it came back to bite them at the worst possible time. Uh, you know, I, I do think this defense is going to be quite good, but I'll say this. Last year, Georgia had a matchup that it wanted at the end of the game. Brock Bowers on Henry Pelotella and, and Brock Bowers just absolutely won that and then ended up scoring a touchdown on Georgia's final offensive play of the game there. So, uh, I, I have questions about the, you know, other than obviously Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. Those guys are no doubt about it. But, uh, the high-level difference makers, You know, Georgia went at Kool-Aid McKinstry in the national title game last year. Um, Elias Ricks I think is living a little bit off reputation uh, of his freshman year and didn't exactly have a great year at LSU last season so I, I think this Alabama team it, it certainly deserves to be considered a favorite but at the same point in time you know this is Georgia offense that I think by most metrics was a top 10 offense a season ago and, and you trust in, in the recruiting talent in this defense and it just sort of feels like eh, we'll brush Georgia aside they'll lose Alabama in a championship game and you know if they get into the playoff they get to the playoff but because Alabama returns Bryce Young and Ohio State returns D.J. Stroud, it seems to me that just everyone is sort of pushing Georgia off the side based on the fact of those two players being back for those two teams.
0: No, I think that's really well said, Connor. Good stuff. We'll look forward to reading a whole lot more from you at dognation.com in the uh, days to come, and we'll chat with you here on our program again very soon as well.
1: Yep, as always, it was a pleasure.
0: Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. Yeah, I think a lot of what Connor's saying is exactly right. And, I mean, in some respects, well, you'd say, well, that's exactly what you'd expect a dog nation daily to say, you know, a, a guy like me, and I, I certainly get that. And I feel like if you're going to make that case, you have to have some evidence to sort of back that up. I mean, you can go back and look. I mean, you know, things like this in college, well, this is not a sport that is that easy to predict. Now, there's only a small full of, a small handful of teams that can compete for national championships. So from that standpoint, it's easy to sort of partition that category off pretty quickly to begin a season. But in terms of what happens within that group, this sport is just not that easy to predict. The idea that Alabama is going to roller skate their way into an SEC championship again or a national championship again, something they, they last won in 2020. Look, folks, it is just not that easy to do. It's, it's just not. And if it was, then Alabama might would have won more than one of the last four national championships now listen compared to what they you know have been you know that's that'd be good for most teams that's not you know as good for Alabama compared to what they have done but in all of those years 18 and 19 and 2021 you know Alabama sort of at one point time felt like the uh the obvious choice to win it all but sometimes college football has a way of surprising and in 2022 Georgia could Uh, stand a chance of benefiting from that surprise all right we got some sec news and some of this relates to alabama we'll get to it here coming up in uh just a moment before that though let me remind you we're cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean this is a great time for you to be on a royal caribbean cruise ship i can't wait for my own royal caribbean cruise vacations coming up at the end of the year and the uh early stages of 2023 and i'll tell you you know, late summer here, so we kind of head towards that. Early fall, these are great times for you to take your own uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacation there as well, and just enjoy everything that happens with all of that. I love the value you get on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation because so many of the cool things are just sort of included in the cruise price. So many of the the food options and your entertainment options, um, the fun things you're doing in a place like Perfect Day, Coco Cay. of that is just right there include with your cruise fare that if you want kind of that one-stop shop that's kind of what i think of cruising as is that there are all kinds of options and variables associated with a vacation but when you take a royal caribbean cruise vacation so many of these options and add-ons are just like kind of right there for you you love great uh restaurants well you can go i mean whether it be uh, sorrento's pizza which is just pizza until the middle of the night you know to 2 3 a.m uh, available just stop by and pick it up and it's no additional charge it's right there it's delicious you know the windjammer cafe where like the buffet is the main dining room there's so many just cool food options or you know some of the, the like the the things on board the ship like the ice skating shows and the Broadway style productions when I was on Harmony of the Seas back in February broadway style production of the musical Grease, like that's the kind of thing on you know, if you're in new york city it's gonna cost you hundred dollars a ticket or if not more than that but it's no additional charge as part of your world caribbean cruise vacation a lot of value associated with this so my encouragement for you is check out our friends the cruise and vacation authority and they can get you hooked up there you can find them online tcava.com that's tcava.com or give them a call 770-952 8300 that's 770 8300 for a lot more on that all right let's uh roll through here and do some sec through stories so there's a guy named john talty who's a writer for al.com and john is i guess working with nick saban on a book a lot of coaches like to do this and they'll kind of bring in a writer to sort of help get the book actually written uh and that's what talty and saban i guess are doing together and if you want to sell a book in this day and age you got kind of to have some stories in there that are the kind of thing you haven't heard before, the kind of thing that are just sort of new information. Otherwise, no one wants to buy the book. Part of me often wonders, well, if you give all this stuff away for free before the book comes out, then what's the purpose of reading the book? But I guess that's you know a different story for a different day. But in the new Nick Saban book, and I believe it's actually a book on leadership, but there's still still going to be some anecdotes and things like that within the book. Uh, I guess one of the stories that Talty is telling here is, is that after the kick six game against Auburn in 2013, you remember that's the one that Alabama lost with its in-state rival in somewhat embarrassing fashion, Nick Saban attempting a long field goal, uh, didn't have the right personnel in the field to kind of address the issue when the kick went short and the Auburn player had a chance to return it, and you know the, the rest of the story there after that. It was, the time, a little bit of an embarrassing loss for, for Nick Saban, and it's so easy to forget this. This is pre, you know, what? he's won three national titles since this moment this is sort of prior to all of that like there was a period of time in which nick saban was not the unquestioned best coach in the sec even with national championships while alabama he had a he had some critics you know critics around this time uh, a, a little bit and the story that talty tells is is that he considered going to espn and becoming an analyst and actually as as talty says it working out on espn's college game day that he even like sort of used intermediaries to sort of set up this conversation and kind of try to find this out if this was maybe a pathway that he wanted to go ultimately decided not to do it but i guess it's going to be discussed more in the the new book and it does kind of remind me of the thing that kirby smart said the other day which was probably blown out of proportion but honestly the whole thing was like a media thing right i mean the average fan can hear kirby smart say i was so frustrated i felt like quitting the average fan Completely processes that and completely understands that. There's this like weird media thing where, um, uh, you know, that kind of got turned into this thing of, well, Kirby Smart didn't mean he was actually going to quit. Yeah, yeah, people get that. People are not stupid. They 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 completely understand that. But it does sort of express you know some frustration that that Smart was dealing with. And honestly, what Saban says here kind of echoes some of that. That's way back from 2013, almost a full decade ago now. But it kind of echoes that a little bit. That that there is just sort of this thing where. I think coaches sort of like the idea of I don't have to do this forever. I mean, well, one point in time Saban sort of flirted with going to Texas. Remember that? Uh, he might leave, go take some, you know, big Texas money. I think ultimately said, <laughs> whatever's it, whatever's wrong here in Alabama and how messed up these fans are, the Texas fans are way worse. I think he sort of decided that at one point in time, but there is this thought where like, even when you're making millions of dollars and even when you're Nick Saban, and you're as successful as anyone could ever dream of being really more successful than anyone could ever dream of being. There comes a point where you just sort of get tired of it. And, a lot of times that fatigue doesn't really last you sort of shake it off and you kind of move on but you at least consider doing something else for a moment so apparently Nick Saban did there uh that at one point uh very sad news coming out of the Alabama program here uh John Mechie has announced and this came out while I I guess yesterday while I was gone but uh Mechie has announced that he's uh battling a form of leukemia got a cancer uh battle here that he's going to be going through which means he's gonna miss his upcoming season his first season in the NFL, and. Honestly, this is just terribly sad news, and you know we've obviously had some fun with the Alabama wide receiver topic going back, all, you know, all off season long, right? Alabama fans kind of bring it up, Georgia fans kind of you know do their thing there as well, and you know, lo and behold, in the midst of us kind of having some fun related to this topic, you know, Mechie's unrelated injury, uh, now you sort of find out what well, he's actually done something really, really serious, and so even Georgia fans who've kind of been sort of sort of stirred up in this sort of Alabama wide receiver debate, and what would have happened had those guys not been injured obviously all georgia fans just kind of pour their hearts and uh sympathy in the direction of john Mechie on this just incredibly sad and there are these moments every now and then when you're just kind of reminded of you know things that're just sort of bigger than football and our health for all of us i mean we walk around you know living lives as normal but we always in the back of our mind have uh this thought in our mind of hey health is not the kind of thing you can be uh taking for granted and so in the case of john Mechie We truly do send some prayers in his direction that he uh, handles this. I'm sure he will. He's obviously a tough young man, and he's a fun football player to watch, and I can't wait to be watching him again sometime in the very near future. But for now, he's got a little bit of a a challenge ahead of him, so we stand with him as he gets ready to do all of that. Uh, I mentioned ESPN a moment ago, so ESPN has become the first – of the recruiting rating services honestly i don't even really really count espn as a rating service but um they have become the first of these recruiting rating services to downgrade uh, arch manning he's no longer the consensus number one recruit in the country because espn no longer has a number one they actually have malachi nelson uh uh, above him right now that's the quarterback on his way to usc and uh, like listen i love recruiting I like the recruiting services. And I've said before, these guys who do this for a living, they have very and uh ladies too, they have very tough jobs. It is not a it's not an easy job to rate players. But you don't talk about patented nonsense. It's like we haven't played any games. Like it's been the off season now for how many months, all of a sudden now ESPN's decided, well, actually we kinda like Malachi Nelson better than we like Arch Manning. Like, all of this is just so silly. Like this is uh, and, uh, Incredibly silly. It does kind of remind you a little bit of the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence stuff from uh, 2018, which we're still not quite so sure which those two quarterbacks end up being the best by the time their football careers are done. But, you know, Fields did briefly overtake Lawrence as the number one recruit, and they were sort of one-two in the uh, rating services back then. But if you're interested, uh, Arch Manning, who is on his way to Texas, is starting to lose his stranglehold a little bit on being the nation's top recruit. The cynically-minded might say, now that he's committed, maybe there's value in ranking somebody else number one. I'm not quite so sure. But nonetheless, that's the story kind of coming from ESPN on that. And then finally, there's this. So there's a guy on Twitter yesterday who put this thing up, and it got retweeted a bunch, or at least got retweeted enough that I saw it. And I don't know who this guy is, but it's a pretty interesting point as it relates to quarterbacks for the upcoming season. And I do think this is a year, in which the SEC is really pretty deep at the quarterback spot. And I can certainly listen to a big conversation about what Bryce Young is going to be. He's the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, I think that actually Hendon uh, Hooker, Tennessee, is a really a good quarterback. You know, a lot of Georgia fans don't like Tennessee, and certainly I understand that. I don't care much of the Vols either, but that doesn't stop me from saying, that. hey, you know what, Hooker's probably a pretty good uh, player there at the quarterback position. And you can talk about Will Rogers, you can talk about a number of quarterbacks that I think have interesting outlooks for the upcoming year. But there is one quarterback who I just think the hype train's kind of gotten a little out of control for, and that's Kentucky's Will Davis. As I told you before, You know, listen, you want to rate certain quarterbacks ahead of Stetson Bennett, you won't get much argument from me. You rate Levis ahead of Stetson Bennett, then I'm going to roll my eyes a bit because head-to-head against each other a year ago, Stetson Bennett outplayed Will Levis. Hard for me to believe that Levis is that much better than him when he couldn't put up a better stat line than than Bennett did uh, against the Wildcats there last season. But nonetheless, NFL teams sort of look at different stuff than just how good you were in college. Josh Allen's probably the perfect example of that. But the point here is, we're a college football show. We care about how these guys play in college. And no matter what Levis might be as a future pro scout in terms of his ability to impact college games this fall in the SEC. Count me skeptical on that front. This tweet, I think, kind of uh, shines a light on that. Do we have the side by side comparison here that the guy put out on Twitter? Don't have. We do have that one. Uh, do we? Uh, I can't tell. All right. So Seth Varnador uh, says, and he's got these like like this chart here for a moment. I don't know who Seth is, but this is a pretty interesting. Take he says, quarterback A is a future top ten pick. And you use that air quote. You can sort of hear the sarcasm dripping. And quarterback B is was also a once a future top 10 pick. The, the A column is Will Levis. The B column is Emory Jones. And when you look through here at completion percentage and the total uh, yards thrown for, uh, the yards per game, what you see is either very similar totals or, in some case, Emory Jones actually putting up better stats a year ago than Will Levis did. That's actually a fairly safe apples-to-apples apples comparison. So not only did Levis not outplay Stetson Bennett a year ago, even though Levis gets way more off-season attention than Bennett's gotten, a guy named Amory Jones was essentially run out of Florida, he didn't even really outplay him either. So I, I I think this probably means something. This probably matters here, that for all the talk out there about what you know Kentucky might be for the upcoming season, I know Chris Doering the other day predicted Kentucky to upset Georgia – I don't know how good Kentucky's going to be. They're probably pretty good. They could finish second in the SEC East. But if it happens, I think the recipe for how that happens is the same stuff that Mark Stoop's teams have always had, playing good defense and running the football. That's what Stoop's teams are known for. You know This love affair with Will Levis, I just don't see a stat line to back that up, whether it's comparison to in Bennett or, as this guy did on Twitter, against Emory Jones. And listen, if your stat line isn't obviously better than Emory Jones, and it's not obvious you're a very good quarterback in the SEC. In the case of Levis, I think he's far more of an unknown for the upcoming season than some of the offseason chatter would suggest. Do NFL teams like him because he has a big arm? I guess that's for the pro scouts to decide. But we care about what happens in SEC games here this fall. And I just simply don't see Levis being the difference-maker quarterback that he's been sold to be by a lot of the folks here thus far this offseason. And maybe that stat line helps explain that will make that cruising around the SEC – courtesy of royal caribbean as we wrap up here today you know this came to my attention a couple of days ago and i didn't mention this on our podcast cool down then. and i had said that i would bring this to our video audience when i was back live again on tuesday instead of doing a golden shooter today i want to uh remember the life of mary justice here for a moment mary was one of the silver dogs and the silver dogs are really cool thing so after the Georgia-Notre Dame game in 2017, when they were so hospitable to a lot of Georgia fans who came up there, Georgia wanted to take some steps towards enhancing its own in-stadium hospitality. And that's what the Silver Dog's really about. And Mary was a Silver Dog herself. And Sharon Davis shared this on Facebook. It got shared with me on Twitter by a buddy, Wiser Dog. And what Sharon wrote was that... Um, to about mary thanking her for all the sweet memories they made together as silver dogs loved every minute god sure blessed me when he sent you my way rest high on that mountain uh and uh obviously she shares her love i've talked to mary's daughter since then and i just send my prayers out to their family to all the georgia fans who said hello to her walking into sanford stadium she was always such a nice face to see there on game days and she was a true DGD in every sense of the word. will will be missed so much. And this was sad news. It was expressed to me, and I wanted to make sure we shared it here. So to all of you who've known Mary and certainly her family, we certainly send you our prayers. Obviously, Dog Nation comes together at times like this, and we wanted to do that there. So we will miss Mary and we were just sad to hear that news. And never easy to kind of transition back to the normal stuff after that. But do want to close up the show. We always do. A Gator Hater update. For a long time since those lousy, stinking Gators have won a national championship, about 4,947 days. And our Gator Hater countdown dogs back in Jacksonville, 95 days from now. Getting a win against those lousy, stinking Gators. We will see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm now the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. R.S. Andrews, is when you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Good to be back, taking your comments again after um, not being recording live yesterday. I got an interesting comment here on Twitter from Herb Hamilton. You know, one of the things that came up in yesterday's show and will probably come up in a lot of shows in the in the future, which is what Herb Hamilton brings up about the future of Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville. He says. What if it was a home-and-home home with every third year going back to a Jacksonville. And that's one of those things that I do hear people suggest from time to time. I believe at one point in time, Mark Richt even suggested how about a home-and-home home plus a neutral site in Jacksonville along with maybe a neutral site in Atlanta there as well. And here's the one thing I have believed, although I don't have any way of proving whether it's true or not, but I sort of think that once you no longer play the game in Jacksonville, at that point in time, the jacksville tradition just sort of dead that i, I do think they've moved it home and home people would probably get used to that pretty quick and part of the momentum with the cocktail party in jacksville has been related to the same people staying in the same condos you know same time of year for a number of years going back that once that tradition's broken it's almost sort of like it's hard to get people back into that mold again That I don't know that you would see the same kind of gravitation towards the cocktail party if it was only in Jacksonville one out of every three years now as I've told you before I'm also really respectful of Georgia fans many of which who say I don't travel to go to these games seven hours a long way for me to drive it's also kind of expensive to go to a Georgia Florida game I'm a season ticket holder those are the games that I attend and I want to see better games at home which include Florida on a more regular basis I, I sort of respect that I mean if it's one person one vote my vote's for the cocktail party, but I do get the idea there are more and more people It's in recent years who've kind of cast their vote in the other direction. I, I sort of get that, but and I don't have any way of proving that I'm right about this, but to me, it's always been one of those things where it's kind of all or nothing. You're either in Jacksonville for the cocktail party each and every year, and that tradition is maintained with people renewing it each and every season, Or once you break that, it's probably just sort of done forever. And if you tried to go back to Jacksonville, you probably wouldn't have the same level of response to that. Maybe that's not as true as it seems to me, but it certainly seems like it might be true there as well. But as we said before, this is one of those things that a lot of people are going to continue to weigh in on. So. We love it when you do on Twitter at DogNationDaily in the comment section at DogNation.com. And, of course, we also appreciate you checking out our friends at RS Andrews there as well. You know, they can get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. That's always a good thing. Uh, It's keeping you cool for the rest of the hot summer that's still yet to come. So make sure you check that out online at rsandrews.com. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for our RS Andrews podcast cool down. Once the show is done, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to seeing you then,
1: everybody.